Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. And we thank you this morning. What a blessing to be saved. Hallelujah. To have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What a blessing it is to be gathered together. And what a privilege it is for me, uh, our family, to serve you in this congregation. And what a blessing it is to stand behind this pulpit. I do not take it lightly this morning. It's a great privilege and an honor. Thank God for his mercy. Let's open up our Bibles. Luke chapter 14, if you will join me there. Luke chapter 14. It is uh, quite remarkable to me to think about the journey we've been on. I came, my wife and I, our family, we came to uh, be pastor of this church in the year 2010. It is almost 2023. They were coming up on 13 years of ministry, and uh, what a journey it's been, and we find ourselves here at, a, at an interesting juncture uh, where we are launching our very first church into, into the field, and that's a great, great blessing. It's a, something that is worthy of our attention uh, and something that I want to share some thoughts with you as we are entering a new dimension as a congregation. And so there are landmarks along the road, you know, just like when you're growing up, baby's first steps. It's like something you remember for a long time, baby's first words. Uh, When your kid finally figures out how to ride a bicycle, you know, things like this. There are landmarks, things that that mark the growth of a child as, as it gets older. And this is also true with the church. There are landmarks. There are times we need to take extra attention and we have to... Uh, begin to understand what's happening. I believe this is one of those times. So you have heard the vision of our congregation, and if you haven't, let me remind you of it today. We have a threefold vision for our congregation. What are we doing as a church? Well, that comes directly from Scripture. What are we doing? We are winning souls through evangelism. Number two, we are training couples through discipleship. And number three, we are planting churches into cities and nations to start the process all over again. Now, that has been a vision up until today. And as of today, the third part of that vision becomes reality for us. We've seen it happen for other churches. We've seen in conferences, churches uh, and couples uh, standing up to, uh, to, to be launched out, praying for them. And, and now is, is our turn as we have turned a corner and stepped into a new chapter for this congregation. And uh, that is a wonderful thing. That is a uh, remarkable thing for us. Uh, but one thing that I want to speak about this morning is the price tag. There is a cost for all of these things, for evangelism, for discipleship, and for church planting. And perhaps 
the highest cost of all, all three of these is the one that we are now entering into for the first time for this congregation. And um, if you agree with me and with the Word of God that these are important priorities for the church to be involved in, winning souls, making disciples, planting churches, if you agree that that is a pretty good thing to be involved in in the earth in 2023, uh, then we have to be real about what that means, about what is necessary to see that happen. And so um, we're going to be uh, we're going to be receiving a challenge this morning to take a step forward, be willing to pay a price that is necessary to see these things happen. And so this is a message I've titled "Counting the Cost of Vision" from Luke chapter fourteen. This uh, this is a portion of scripture Jesus is preparing. These are his final parables that he is teaching to the multitudes and to his disciples as he's preparing for the Last Supper. These are some of the last words that he teaches on earth. And um, I'm going to start with one verse, and we'll go back and explore a little bit more. But Luke chapter 14, verse 33, I'm living, uh, reading from the New Living Translation, where it says, So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. Um, in the New King James, it says, He who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a message which we need to be reminded of this morning. I need to be reminded of. So let's pray, asking God to help us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. God, for this new chapter and for this uh, new phase, this new dimension that you have brought us to as a congregation. I'm praying, God, that you would help us, God, to count the cost to enter this new phase of ministry. I'm praying, God, for every person here that we would understand, God, what it means to execute the vision of Scripture through this congregation. I'm praying, God, give us people who will willingly and indeed joyfully pay the price that is necessary to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. I want to... I want to begin this message by reminding you of something that is maybe quite surprising in the cultural or in the Christian climate that many churches have today. And that is the truth that complacent curiosity is not true discipleship. That would be a good thing to write down. Complacent curiosity is not true discipleship. That's a lot of big words, Pastor. What do you mean by that? Well, this portion of Scripture begins in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, with these words. It said that many great multitudes went with him, went with Jesus. Jesus was an attractive personality. His healing ministry, his preaching ministry, all that he did drew massive crowds to him. And so it is no surprise then that multitudes, the Bible says the word multitudes went with him. That means a whole lot of people. Yes? So if that's all we understand about the scripture, there would be many Christian pastors today and many Christian workers who would look at that and say, man, Jesus, great job on the successful church plant. 
You've got multitudes following you. You've got so many people that we can't count. In fact, they got hungry uh, out there in the wilderness, and uh, you decided to feed them. And uh, 5,000 men, miracle loaves and fishes, right? And we can look at that, and, and if that's all we see, we can say, wow, successful church ministry. Look at all those people. Congratulations, Jesus. You have a successful church because a lot of people are there. Jesus, though, is far too wise to care about the number of people that are following him. Because the Bible says that at that moment, he turns around, he looks at the multitudes, and he begins to speak to them. Jesus cared more about quality than quantity. The Bible says that Jesus would rejoice. He would leave the 99 behind. In fact, that's the next chapter. He says, I'm willing to leave all of these casual observers behind to go find one lost. To one that is in need is more important than 99 of you complacent and curious. The heart of the Lord longs after authentic faith. And he hated the counterfeit. He only wanted substantial and meaningful faith, not just a mirage of bodies wandering around following him through the countryside. That would not satisfy him. It says in verse 25 that he turned and he said to them, it's it's almost the sense of a confrontation. He's he's walking and there's a multitude. Just, Just imagine a thousand people and... He turns almost to confront them. And then he launches upon this portion of Scripture, this and the following parables in chapter 15. We often speak of the compelling nature of Jesus' ministry and how he attracted so many people through his healing and through his powerful teaching and preaching. But there are a couple of moments in the Gospel accounts where Jesus engages in a repelling ministry. That's the opposite of compelling. Compelling means, come all who are weary, come and follow me, right? I'm the water of life, the bread of life, come and drink and come and eat. And, And then, once he gets a whole lot of people around, he says, now, are you serious? And he begins, in this moment, to repel a few people. You know, a magnet has two sides. A magnet can attract a certain kind of other magnet. But the moment you flip it around, guess what? It begins to repel. Jesus' ministry is similar in this way. That there are times that he needs to compel. And he asks us as a church, compel them to come in. But there are also times when Jesus has a repelling, a repellent ministry. And this is intended to thin out the herd, to see who is really serious. Jesus spoke in John about about pruning the vine. He says, all who are in me and I am in them, they will bear fruit. But those who do not bear fruit, I will chop them off to be thrown into the fire. And so there is such a thing as a complacent follower. There is such a thing in the Christian church. 
as those who are curious and those who are indeed listening and present, but who are not truly serious about following Jesus. And this is why the job of any good pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Because there is one of two things that can happen to somebody who is in the crowd that day. There's only one of two things. When Jesus begins his repellent ministry, you either have to, uh, to deal with what he's saying, accept it, change, and keep going, or you will say, this isn't for me. And this is the confrontation that Jesus is forcing here in our scripture. And I want to just say that this is nothing new. That it, there is an Old Testament example of this. When God looked at Gideon's army, there were thousands there ready to defeat the enemy. And God looked at this army and he said, you know, you could probably do this. But you have too many. And God began to send the warriors home. And the ones who reacted in a certain way and the ones who uh, were fearful and afraid, he said, you guys go home. And finally, he gets the army down to only 300 warriors. He said, okay, now, now we can do this. And you're not going to get the credit. Now it will glorify me. Now, if it was a problem in Jesus' time, it can also be a problem in our churches and in our own lives. It could be possible that there are people in the audience today that have become curiously complacent. And that means, that doesn't mean that you're an evil person. It doesn't mean that you're doing drugs. It's not doesn't mean you're picking up prostitutes. It means that you're following Jesus. It means that you're engaged in his ministry. It means that you are curious about what he has to say. Those are all wonderful things. And yet, at the same time, it can be highly deceiving. We can use the fact that we are in the presence of Jesus to cover the fact that we are not truly following him from the heart. We can tell ourselves, I'm in the audience. I'm in church. I'm religious. I'm spiritual. I read the Bible this week. I said a few prayers. And we can use that as our excuse for why, yes, I'm right with God. But you know, there is a scripture which frightens me more than any other scripture. And that is the scripture where Jesus says, beware. Beware that one day you don't stand before God and say, Lord, didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do many things for you, Jesus? And he will say to them, Depart from me, for I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with... Doesn't that frighten you? That there is a multitude of people who are following Jesus, who are in the audience, and even doing lots of good things in Jesus' name. And it's possible to do all of those things and still not truly know him. Those are the ones that Jesus is speaking to in this scripture. He is turning to them to confront them, to speak to them, to speak to us. And the reason that this is important in the context is that these chapters, Luke chapter 13 through 18, is all taking place in the last final weeks before he's going to go to the cross. These are basically his final teachings. He's saying, guys, if you're going to get it right, 
Now's the time. If you're going to be serious, we have to do it now. We can't put it off for later because guess what? I'm not going to be here soon. So you're going to have to understand what it really means to serve God. What it really means to be a, a disciple. What it really means to be a Christian. And so with that thought in mind, Jesus then begins to give four examples. Four examples of what it means to be a true disciple and not just a casual follower. Are you ready? What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Jesus' four examples and we're going to use those to count the cost in our own lives. Now, if you hear these examples and you say, Pastor, uh, this is the price is too high for me. That's okay. I understand that. It is a high price. And nobody's, gonna, nobody's going to, uh, to, uh, to stand in your way if you decide this is not something that I want to be involved in. That's okay. But we do want to understand what is the cost? What is the price for the vision that we have? We want to be clear about this. We don't want to candy coat it. We don't want to be deceived that the price is something lower than it actually is. Okay? So this is the price. Four examples that Jesus gives. Number one is the price of family. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot. Say the word cannot. He cannot be my disciple. Now, there's a reason why Jesus is using such strong language here. There's a reason because there are people who are going to say in response to that scripture, Jesus, I can do both. I can love my family and I can be a disciple. And Jesus is very clearly stating here, if you do not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. Now, what many people and what I'm about to do today is that I'm about to soften this statement just a little bit. And sometimes I think that's a mistake. I think that we should read the scripture and we should let it impact us. When you, that word hate, he says, if anyone does not hate his father and mother, I looked it up in the Greek. Do you know what it means? It means hate. It's the same word that is used for those who hate their enemies. Love your friends, hate your enemies. We understand what hate is. And so when Jesus says, who does not hate, there is a weight for that word. What are you trying to say? So let's explore that just a little bit. I do not believe that Jesus is teaching us to neglect our families. When we read this scripture in the light of other scriptures, which we are supposed to do, we have 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so I don't believe Jesus is teaching us to neglect or to abuse our families. That's not what this scripture is. So what is it then? What does it mean? To hate mother, father, wife, and children to be a disciple. What does that mean? So another uh, translation, New Living Translation says, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, 
hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Message translation. Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, even one own self, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus echoed this teaching in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is the idea, church. Jesus is not teaching us to abuse or neglect our families. What he is saying is that your love, devotion, your, your uh, commitment to the kingdom of God has to be greater than any other commitment in your life. If that's shocking to you, then you have the wrong idea of Christianity. What it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Pastor, I thought this was just something that we do on Sundays, a little social gathering. That's not what this is. That might be your experience of Christianity, but that is not true discipleship. In other words, this morning, your obligation to Jesus is greater than your obligation to your family. Do you hear that? My obligation to Jesus is greater than my obligation to my wife. I have a great obligation to my wife. I have a lot of responsibilities to fulfill in my marriage. But my responsibility to Jesus is greater than that. I look at my two daughters, and my heart is connected to them. And I am devoted and committed to them with all of my heart to see their future well and and protected and covered. And, you know, that's my duty as a father. But if I'm doing this Christianity thing right... My devotion to Jesus is greater than my devotion even to my children. And that is the measure this morning. That Jesus uses the example of family because there is no other earthly relationship which is greater for us than the bonds of family. Isn't that true? That's where we find our peace, our comfort. Hopefully, you know, our families are a place where we find peace and rest and joy and comfort in one another. We find purpose in our devotion to one another. And by the way, that's why the enemy attacks the family. Because when he attacks the family, he is attacking the very peace and joy, the source of earthly joy that we have. So when Jesus says, anyone who wants to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Can I ask you, is that true for you? This is reality for many people around the world. Many places where Christianity is not the norm like it is here in America. Many places like in a Muslim nation where to become a Christian convert means to reject your entire family. It means not only that, but actually, if you become a Christian, your dad, your mom, your brothers, and your sisters all lose their jobs or get kicked out of their schools because that is the the father of the person who's now going to the Christian church. That's what it means to follow Jesus above all. That even my devotion to Jesus is greater than my devotion to the people who love me most in this world. Is that true of you? Now, I will say that if it is true for you, 
that your devotion to your wife and your children and your mother and your father and your own life also will be even greater. I want to tell you, a Christian husband is better than a non-Christian husband. Why? Because if I'm devoted to Christ, he tells me to be devoted to my wife. But if we have to compare, see, we cannot let our families become our idols. We cannot let our safety and security become our idols. Jesus says, you follow me first. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to put the kingdom first. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Jesus hanging on the cross and looking down to see his mother, Mary, weeping, her heart breaking? In many ways, it was, it was just as painful for her to watch Jesus go through that because she knows that he's perfect. She knows that he has no earthly father. She knows that he's the son of God. And Jesus looks down at his earthly mother, Mary, and his heart breaks for her. And he says, you know what, John, you better take care of her, buddy. He says, behold your mother, behold your son, right? And so even in that moment, Jesus is not neglecting his mother, but what he's doing is saying, my commitment to the kingdom is more important even than my commitment to my own mother who birthed me and brought me into the world. How about you? If you cannot handle that, then you cannot be his disciple. That's the simple truth. That's example number one. Are we ready for number two? Verse 27, Luke 14. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There are a few things that Jesus says you cannot do. This is another one. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let's unpack that. What does it mean to bear your cross? Well, what happens at a cross? So, you know, for for those who wear a cross around their neck, I'm not going to judge you this morning, but the cross at the time of Jesus is simply a tool of execution. It would be like wearing a noose or wearing an execution chair. And so the cross was simply the Romans' invention for a way to painfully and effectively kill people that would make them an example for everyone else. The Romans were really good at killing people. They were powerfully effective at, uh, at punishing their enemies. Jesus understands that there's something that happens on the cross. A cross is where criminals go to be humiliated and punished. And Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to carry your cross for me, then you cannot be my disciple. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Where are you going with that cross? Well, I'm going to the top of the hill to be crucified. Are you willing to follow still? Are you willing to follow when following Jesus doesn't mean $100 bills, raises, blessings, smiles, smiles and candy-coated Christianity. Sometimes following Jesus means death. Sometimes it means becoming a martyr. John 16, verse 2. Jesus, uh, we just read this in our Bible reading plan. He's speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, and he reminds them that they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you 
thinks that he offers service to God. He's talking about the coming persecution that the, uh, the disciples are about to endure. He said, you know, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to be my disciple. Because if they treated me this way, what makes you think they're going to treat you any differently? This is called counting the cost. Am I willing to die for my Lord Jesus? Now, this should be a no-brainer, but it's not. The reason I say that is because Jesus was willing to die for you. If you were the only human being on earth, you still needed salvation. You still needed his blood to wash your sins away. And he still would have been willing to go to the cross just for you. So where do we get the idea that I don't need to die for him? Where does that come from? That comes from the spirit of self-preservation, and that is not part of serving the Lord Jesus. Everybody still with me? Okay, so are we willing to die for Christ? Contemplate that. Count the cost. Now let me tell you something that's harder than that. Living for Jesus. You know, dying for the Lord is definitely hard, right? I mean, you're going you're gonna, to uh, cease to exist on this planet, and then uh, if you're faithful and your sins are forgiven, you'll go to be in His presence. You know what might be even harder than that? Living for 30, 40, 50, 80 more years of your life every day devoted to His will. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you shall live. Something even more, than be, more difficult than being a Christian martyr may be becoming devoted to His will and purpose for the rest of your life. Christian discipline, becoming holy, doing more for Him today than you did yesterday. This is why Paul says, Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. He's saying, listen, some people God calls to be a martyr. That's not most people. Most people God is calling you to be a living sacrifice. I mean, you're still breathing, you're still walking, you're still thinking, but you are just as much devoted to the cause of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's what it means when Jesus says, carry the cross. That every day you pick up a cross, and that cross, uh, metaphorically speaking, is a cross that says, I am willing to die and I am willing to live. Not for myself, but for the kingdom. To follow you, Jesus. To put to death the deeds of my body. Are you willing to do that? This Pastor, this is a really hard sermon. You know what? I'm just reading the book and trying to figure out what it means. So let's figure it out together. The third example, I'm going to wrap this up quickly, is a tower. He goes on to speak about Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, and he was not able to finish. If you've ever been part of a building project you know that it always costs more than you think and it will always take longer than you think. Is that true? 
Every building project we've been a part of, I tell Pastor Campbell, Pastor, we got this building and we got a, we got a project. He says, how long is it going to take? Ah, probably three or four weeks, I'm guessing. Guess what? It always takes six or eight weeks. How much is it going to cost? Well, I'm guessing 10, 15,000. It's always 20, 30,000. That's true in your house, too. You're going to remodel your bathroom. Uh, probably going to take a weekend. Sure. You know, we moved into our house in 2013. There were some projects that needed to be done. And I was thinking, yeah, we can get these done maybe, maybe a year down the road. Guess what year it is? <laughs> We've been in that house almost 10 years. I still got some projects to do in that place. Because it always costs more and it always takes longer. This building project that we are part of this morning, this building project of winning the lost, making disciples, planting churches, is a building project that is going to take more than you think, going to cost more, and it's going to take longer than you think. See, God's not on our timeline, is he? No. We have to be on his timeline. When I got here to Virginia Beach, I thought, man, this is a great church. We're going to launch a church in two years. Well, it didn't take two years. I thought, man, we're going to have disciples out the wazoo. Well, things don't always work the way I think. Jesus uses this example of building a tower, a building project, and the, uh, the prepared person is going to sit down and attempt to figure out what it takes. What's the material cost? What's the labor cost? We, we need some Holy Ghost you know, construction managers to sit down and prepare and, and count. Let's count our beans. Let's see how much it's going to take versus how much we have. And if we don't have enough, we better not even start. This is what Jesus is trying to say to those who are casually observing. He's saying, look, the price of doing the will of God is way up here. And if you can't pay that price, if you're saying, I'm willing only to give this much, then you shouldn't even start. And the final example is in verse 31. And he used the example of of a war. What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first? Consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him or who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. He's saying this kingdom, this, this goal, this idea, this lifestyle of living as a disciple of Jesus is very much like preparing to go to war. Now, our founders of this nation were wise when they said that we should avoid foreign entanglements because they understood getting involved in wars with other nations is high cost involved. We've seen that in our nation, even in the last couple of decades, getting involved in entanglements. Man, not only are we having to pay big bucks for military equipment, but there are lives that are lost. There's blood of our servicemen that are spilled on foreign ground. That's a high price to pay, isn't it? That's why we have a Veterans Day. That's why we have a Memorial Day, to remember the high cost of what it means to go to war. And nobody knows that more than those who have served. Jesus says, serving me, being my disciple, in a very similar way, means you're going to have to be willing to pay a price to go to war. And he says, it's like a king who only has 10,000 troops going to war against another king who has 20,000. In other words, the odds are stacked against you. There is an advantage for the enemy 
You know, in this world, the enemy has an advantage. We are fighting every day the, the enemies of the kingdom of God, those three enemies which are constantly fighting against us and battling us for the will of God. It is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if all we have is our own wits, we'll lose to all three. It's like a war where this deck is stacked against us. And so we've got to count the cost. Ephesians 6, we just read it in our Bible study this morning. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. See, the truth, the reality is, if you are serving Jesus, you are already at war, whether you know it or not. The bullets are already flying. There are, there are bodies on the battlefield around you. And you either have a choice to turn and run, to hide in a hole, or to fight. Here's the good news. You're on the winning team. You've already been given the equipment that is necessary. What is required is by faith to take up the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. All it takes is for you to put it on by faith, and you can win. But as I mentioned this morning, not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody is excited about confrontation. The good news is that the battle is a lot less strenuous than you think it is. Like David, right? Although the whole, the whole ar- army of Israel was quaking for 40 days and 40 nights at the sound of Goliath's uh, bemoanings from across the valley. And he would get up every morning and every night and he would shout, You cursed dogs! And they would all quake in fear, wouldn't they? All David had to do was run out. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And you know how he defeated Goliath? With one stone. That's it. Just a little bit of faith. Maybe more than a little bit. A little bit of courage. He ran to the battlefield. And one stone. One stone. That's all it took. See, sometimes we're afraid of the battle. But when we just turn to begin to fight, God will give us the victory. Jesus says, this is what it means to be my disciple. You've got to be willing to go to war. Count the cost. I close with this last thought that we started with. Verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is the cost. This is what's required. I'm not saying this morning that you have to give all of your devotion to the potter's house in Virginia Beach. This is part of serving the Lord. But our devotion to forsake all that we have has to be directed at the Lord Jesus. And if we are not willing to forsake all that we have, if we are not willing this morning to, uh, to give up all that we own, all that we care about, our past, our present, our future for the Lord Jesus. I don't know what you think discipleship means, but this is what it really is. So as Jesus turns to the multitudes and he explains to them what it actually means, do you suppose that there were some people that said, I'm not ready for that? Of course it did. In fact, this is not the first time that this happened in Jesus' ministry. It happened also in John chapter 6. 
after he had fed the multitudes and everybody was following him around expecting another fish sandwich to come along. And Jesus began saying, well, you know what would be better than eating fish sandwiches? How about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? And the Jewish people there were like, whoa, we don't want to get involved in that. And what this was, it's the same idea. He's saying, listen, serving me means giving it all. Leaving everything, forsaking all to be my disciple. Now, I want to close with this thought. Jesus never expects you to do something that he was not willing to do. In other words, not only did he preach it, but he lived it. The thing that he calls disciples to do was the very thing that he exemplified to them. He said, look, look at what it means to serve the Lord. Look at what it means to be a true disciple. He gave his whole life. Was there anything that Jesus did not give? He gave his time. He gave his earthly possessions. He gave his uh, devotion. He gave of himself. We see that in the Chosen Men, this series, that episode that we watched where he was, you know, while the disciples were all quarreling amongst each other, and he's out there all day praying for the sick. He was willing to do that. He, it was not just something he was willing to do. It was something that he rejoiced to do. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was even in, in, in the battle of the moment, wrestling with the will of God. He knows he's going to the cross. He's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, please. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be painful. Nevertheless. Somebody said that that nevertheless has all the hope that is ever necessary. Inside that, nevertheless, is your salvation in mine. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Are you able to say that? When, you, when you're bumping up against, you're wrestling the will of God, you're saying, but I really like this thing called my life. I really like holding on to this way of life, this attitude of life. I really like holding on to this material possession. Nevertheless, Jesus is saying, I did it for you. He gave all of his body. He gave all of his blood. He gave all of his life so that you could be saved. Now, where do you get off thinking that you can hold back from him? If you want to be a disciple, this is what it means. I hope that you understand the cost this morning. It is a high cost. There's no way around that. But I want to challenge you this morning. That there is also a reward. There's a reason why we do this. It's not just self-sacrifice and, and you know, self-punishment. It's not just that. That Jesus also gives us a promise of reward. He says, those who will suffer with me will also rejoice with me. See, Jesus went to the cross, yes, but he was resurrected. He lives to this day. He enjoys the presence of his Father for all eternity. He receives the reward for his sacrifice and his duty. And I want to tell you, there is a reward for you too. There is a reward for counting the cost, being willing to be the disciple of Jesus, but there is a reward. There is a promise. There is a promise. If nothing else, you get to go to heaven, man. That's, that's like worth it. You, you won't be destroyed by your sins. You'll be in the presence of God like for all eternity. That's worth it. Not only that, but the promise of pleasing the Father. 
the promise of being right with God. I tell you, we forsake all, but it's not for no reason. He gives us a promise. There's a price for what we do. For evangelism, there's a price. We got to give our time and our effort. We got to be willing to endure some embarrassment sometimes, some awkward moments to win souls and make disciples, to correct people and to be corrected. That's not comfortable. It's not easy, but it's necessary to improve. That's what discipleship means. And we are now learning what it means, the cost of planting a church, the cost of sending a couple out, not only the, the, the monetary costs, right? There's going to be buildings involved. We want to help. We want to be a blessing. That means that comes out of our budget. That means we can't spend money on things that this church needs. But also the cost of the personnel that we're losing, the family that we're sending out. There's a cost involved. Are we still willing to pay the price? This is what it takes to do what we do. And so I want to challenge you, church, not just to pay the price, but to be willing to pay the price. This is counting the cost for the vision that we have. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.